Welcome to Rising to the Top, Lessons in Leadership, brought to you by Columbia University. This is a podcast where we interview senior industry leaders who share the secrets of their success and reveal pivotal moments that impacted their career path. Come listen as they shed light on obstacles they overcame as well as wins they achieved. My name is Paul Maniachi from the Career Design Lab, and I will be your host for today's discussion with Jarrett Prozaska. Essentially, creativity is making something out of nothing and finding ways around obstacles. Creativity is just trying to maybe see the world in a different way. In today's episode, we recorded video, which you can access through our website. There you will be able to see Jarrett doing some of his illustrations while he answers questions. On today's Rising to the Top Lessons in Leadership podcast, we're very excited to have with us today Jared Krosowska, known since boyhood as JJK, is the New York Times bestselling author, illustrator behind more than 40 books for young readers, including his wildly popular Lunch Lady graphic novels, select volumes of the Star Wars Jedi Academy series, and Hey Kiddo, which was a National Book Award finalist. Krosowska creates books with humor, heart, and deep respect for his young readers, qualities that have made his titles perennial favorites on the bookshelves of homes, libraries, and bookstores over the past 20 years. Jarrett lives in Western Massachusetts with his spouse, their three children, pugs Ralph and Frank, and a French bulldog named Bella Carmela. Thanks for being here with us today, Jarrett. Thanks, Paul. It's good to see you, man. So today I wanted to have a, a conversation with you around the, the theme of, of creativity as someone whose whose career is is based on that. You're a maker, you're a creator, you imagine things and and you bring them to life on the page and then into the world. What does creativity mean to you? I mean, essentially creativity is, um, you know, making something out of nothing and finding ways around obstacles, you know? Uh, So uh, there's, you know, creativity is just trying to maybe see the world in a different way. And so for me, that comes through uh, writing and illustrating books. It comes through in, um, uh, you know, the video content that I make, which was uh, cr- spurred on by problem solving, right? Because COVID hit and I could no longer book tour. I could no longer uh, go into schools and libraries. And so I immediately pivoted to create a video content. And, you know, with every passing week, trying to figure out how I could improve the production and the sound and the light and everything like that to make it a more robust program. So uh, it's a long-winded way of what creativity means for me. That's great. And I, and I like how you talked about how you, how you had to pivot. That's something that our students uh, at Columbia definitely had to do as, as did all of us that were, have been impacted by the pandemic. So it's really important to be able to, to pivot and to, to do different, to do different things. I was wondering, Jared, if, if you could, sketch a little for us like while we're talking if like any ideas came up in your head it'd be a really nice addition for people that are watching the the video they'll be able to see yeah for sure so as as far as the 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 topic of uh creativity you know this is something that that obviously is is very important to the to the work that you do as as a writer and and as an illustrator can you talk about how people can bring some of this creativity into their their daily work you know people whose whose work might be mundane or, or repetitive. Like, do you have any suggestions on that? You know, I think that, um, you know, regardless of what a young person grows up to do, uh, they, at the core, they're going to need to be creative 
problem solvers because in many cases too, like the jobs our kids will have someday have not even been invented yet. You know, um, even by nature of what we're doing here now, where uh, you are interviewing me via video and for a podcast, and then there's an audio engineer making sure everything goes right. Like these, these jobs did not exist when we were kids. And so, um, so that's just, that doesn't necessarily answer your question, but that your question made me think of, of, of that philosophy I have on that. Um, well, you don't need to be a drafts person to draw, you know, you, you don't, uh, just, just putting marks on a page. I mean, that in itself is very therapeutic. Even if you're just making abstract marks or patterns, it's centering. It's like a, it's like a form of, of meditation. And, you know, it's very important to be bored. It's important to our mental health. It's important to our creative output too. Um, and it's really hard to be bored because at any point we can consume short form videos and news and, and so many things. And it, and it kind of just becomes like a weird tick where our thumbs just like go on our phone and just like look for things. Um, and so this is a good way to keep your hands busy while you're not just getting inundated with uh, dopamine or uh, conversely rage. Can you talk a little bit about, because you mentioned this idea of mental health and, you know, I think it's something that obviously it's something that's, that was important to everybody prior to the pandemic, but the pandemic has put more of a focus on it as we've been faced with more challenges and, and illness and stress. How, how do you, uh, how do you take care of yourself? What is, what are your self-care routines like? And does it lead back to some of what you were saying? Like, is this, is this therapeutic for you now, even though it's also, it's also your calling? Yes and no. I mean, what's, what's tricky is when it also becomes your vocation, you have to remember to um, just make marks just to make marks. Right. And so one of the things that I love to do is I love to draw people like I, here, I'm just doing a quick little sketch of, of you. I especially love, you know, people watching, like I love like either being at an airport or being at a cafe somewhere and um, just watching people and observing people walk by um, here. I'm going to grab one of my, um, grab one of my old sketchbooks here. One second. Let's see what I can find for you. Okay. So this is an old sketchbook of, uh, I, I was a dad at this point. So when my kids were much younger and just stopping to take a sketchbook and drawing what I see around me. And, and when you take time to sketch what you see before you, you really observe and take in the information that's there. You know, you're not just snapping a photo to then later maybe put a filter on and post to social media. Um, so, you know, we're surrounded by so many different um, subjects, whether it be family and friends or strangers at an airport. And, um, and so that, that centers me. Uh, other, other than that, you know, um, like so many people did too, just hit a total brick wall during the pandemic when I realized I was trying to do everything and I was not taking care of myself. And so allowing myself to just um, lay on the couch and veg out, you know, allowing myself to um, just do absolutely nothing 
whether it be read a book or sometimes to, to, you know, to just grab something like TikTok and disassociate for like 30 minutes and just go and watch videos. I mean, we have a, my wife and I have a saying that, you know, Facebook will make you hate everyone you've ever known, but um, TikTok will make you fall in love with people you'll never meet. Um, and so just really allowing myself to be like, yeah, my, I'm late on my book deadlines. Uh, and, and, and I can do that a little bit more now because I've, I'm established, I've proven myself. Um, so, you know, it's like that thing where Neil Gaiman said at a, uh, um, at a graduation, he said, if you want to be successful in a creative field, you need, you need one of, you need one of three things. You need to be good. I mean, you need, you need two of these. You need to be good. You need to be nice and you need to be prompt. And like, if you could have just two of these three things, you'll succeed. And, uh, I got those two going for me. And so, and so that's where I'm at. That's where I allow myself the, the self-care. Uh, I was wondering, Jared, can you talk about what it is as far as writing and, and drawing, illustrating, what, it, what does that do for you? Does, is it, is it a way for you to, to express yourself? Is it a way for you to, to share what's going on in your head? Like, what, what does that look like for you? Well, I mean, when I was a young person coming up, like, I, you know, my gra- I, I was raised by my grandparents and that generation did not believe in therapy or anything like that. And, you know, I had a challenging childhood. I was, my mother was incarcerated because she was addicted to heroin and I didn't know who my father was. I didn't meet him until I was 17. And, um, and so I had my sketchbooks. And so back then I would, I would use my sketchbooks to just process and, and, and draw what, what I was feeling. Uh, I don't do that as much anymore. I might to speak to a therapist. Uh, and I guess in, in some ways too, I deal with things in my past because I do write about my own life in the past. Um, and so, uh, you know, and it's tricky for me too, because ultimately I have to get these drawings done if I want to pay my electric bill, right? And if I want to, if I want to make sure that I'm putting food on the table. So it is, when it becomes your vocation, it is a mix of, of, of pressure, but also it's like, this is, this is what I've, this is what I've always loved to do ever since I was a kid. So to, to touch upon, you started talking about, about your childhood and there's obviously you're, you're very resilient. And I was wondering where does your resiliency come from as someone who's, who's chosen to build their own career and in part because you could have easily given up along the way because of these struggles that you faced as a kid. And, and I don't think anyone would have faulted you if that was the case. And, and then you decided to choose a profession where you really had to be your own advocate. You really had to hustle. Where, where does that resiliency come from? I mean, it's kind of like all I ever wanted to do, right? So it's like failure wasn't an option. Part of it too is, you know, my mother was a very talented artist and the majority of my correspondence with her as a kid came through physical mail and letters that she would write to me while she was incarcerated. And she, uh, she would send me artwork she would make, like she would draw me a picture and, and then I would draw her cartoon character back. And I could see how talented she was, but how she was never really able to do anything with that talent because of the the disease of addiction that she had. 
And so I I decided very early on as a young person that like I was going to do something with these skills that I had. I also, for me, being raised by my grandparents who grew up during the Great Depression, they were very nervous about sending their kid to art school. And so I wanted to make sure that I could prove to them and they could see in their lifetime that I was going to be successful and this was all going to work out. And it's a mix of being uh, super optimistic, like sometimes naively optimistic, but also very pragmatic as well. You you mentioned that you wanted your your grandparents to to see your success. Were they able to see that in their in their lifetime? They were, yeah. No, they uh, they were there for. Uh, my grandmother was alive for the first five years of being published, and my grandfather for the first seven. So they saw that first book published. They saw several other books published after that. That's amazing. They must have been so proud. They they were very proud. Yes, they were. So Jared, if if you could talk about the fact that you that a, a part a really big part of your of your work has become giving presentations whether it's in front of small children i know you do sometimes you'll do like high school tours you're doing book tours you're in front of a lot of people and you also have done um, ted talks where you're in front of large audiences how do you, how did you get to the point where you feel comfortable where you feel comfortable and confident speaking in front of a large audience and do you have any advice that you could share with people that find that uh, challenging. I used to be terrified of public speaking. Like I vividly remember running for class office in high school and I had to get up in front of the class, you know, the entire graduating class of whatever, 95, when I was a sophomore in high school. And I remember so nervous. I was holding my speech and, and the paper was shaking and it was an audible, like you could hear it shaking. And I remember someone being like, oh, you can look, at he's shaking. And, and even when I was in college, in art school, when it became my time for a critique, I would, I would just be terrified to speak in front of a group of, you know, 16 of my peers in whatever class. Um, and so there are two things that really helped me overcome that. One was uh, working at a camp and being... Uh, working in front of kids, right? Cause it's, it's one thing to speak in front of your peers, but then to speak in front of a group of kids, it's, it's a lot easier. Um, and also acting classes and understanding, um, how to project, how to hold your body on the stage and all of those things. And, and then just by doing. So when my first book was published, I started giving presentations and, um, just for friends, you know, just for the fun of it, uh, just get some practice. And so you quickly learn like what works and what doesn't work. And so for 21 years now, I have been fine tuning this uh, author presentation. And, uh, and so you mentioned the TED talk that was initially given quite by accident. I was a last minute replacement. Uh, I was call it was a TEDx talk happening in the neighboring town. I got to call it noon for uh, an event that started at four. And so I didn't have time to be nervous because I had, I was really just shooting by the hip. And sometimes I find that the more time you have, the more you overthink things and the less fresh and the more nervous you might be, especially when it's a, a new talk. And um, 
I gave the second TED talk I gave, I was very nervous because then you have that feeling of what if this isn't as good as the first one? What if people don't respond to it? What if it doesn't make it to the website? Um, and so I was nervous. And I called a friend uh, who's got nothing to do with, you know, books or public speaking and publishing. And, and he said something that really gave me radical acceptance that I, I think about every single time I jump on stage is like, I have nothing to lose. Like if this, I, I have nothing to lose. Nothing is being taken away from my life if whatever talk doesn't go the way that, that I'd, I'd hoped it would. And so if you're giving a talk, know the talk so well. Like I've learned that I don't do a good, I, I can't give a speech, right? Like I can't write a speech and then read it. But I can write bullet points of all of my thoughts and use those bullet points to hit whatever notes. Um, I also, because I, I give, I tell stories with words and pictures, I always have slides or visuals. And when you're writing a book that's illustrated, the words and pictures each tell a different part of the story. They don't repeat one another. They don't contradict one another, but they don't tell you the exact same thing. And I take that approach with my slides as well. So I'm not going to, no one wants to read a slide. And so I never like have what's, what I'm saying written on the slide. I'm going to have a visual that complements what I'm saying. That was Baghead, right? And the previous one was Monkey Boy, which was 2001. And that's Baghead, which was published nice. in 2002. <laughs> and I saw before you had Yoda, too. Yeah, that's right. I, I did books for, some books for Lucasfilm as well. That's awesome. You seem to to make yourself available, whether it's to to kids that are interested in 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 drawing or children's books or or writing, or to adults. Or you you seem to have like this this open door policy where you know if people are genuine with you, you're you're willing to open yourself up to them and and connect. I'd like for you to talk uh, for a moment or so about your your new book that's that's going to be coming out. But can you talk about that? that willingness to like, to be there for, for other people and to, to, ser to serve. Well, you know, like I, I feel like, especially in the world of children's books, like I'm a link in a long chain. So like, um, like Tommy DePaula and Mark Brown and, and these other sort of iconic author illustrators that I always really looked up to in, in, in their careers. And some of them, I read their books as when I was a kid too. Um, they were always super, super, generous with their time and um you know i'll never forget the kindness that so many people like like them or jane yolen showed me um and so like i know what it's like to be uh you know a kid a young person who uh wants to wants to wants to create something uh, and make something and follow a dream now that being said i have learned how to protect my time at the same way so my my mantra is has been this year like okay don't piss off future Jared. like don't say yes to something that future Jared is going to be stressed out by. So for instance, uh, I had a couple of podcast interviews in which the host was so ill-prepared that I could see in the reflection of their glasses, they were looking at my website and like for the first time. And they were like, oh, it says here on your website, you gave a TikTok. What is that about? And all I could think was like, no, like that's something you could have done before we jumped on the call, like, I don't want to have to pitch my TED talk to you. Like, that's not what this is about. Um, and even sometimes from people that I, I know really well who have a, you know, a YouTube channel with a lot of followers 
and to do a little thing. And I'm like, I just, you know, it's not going to be the best use of my time right now. Like I'm going to, I have to be more careful about the, the, the yeses that I give out. Um, and I do, I still mentor a lot of people and encourage young, young authors, artists that I see online. Um, um, and I just like, again, I think it goes back to the fact that I, I genuinely like people and I never forget the kindness that people showed me over the years. So um, I just wanted to ask you, it's a question that has, has two parts. As far as our Columbia students who are currently enrolled at, at Columbia, do you have any suggestions for how they can make the most of their time while they were a student? There isn't much that I would go back in time and say to my younger self, because I think that my younger self needed to figure stuff out on his own. But I guess if there's one thing I might go back and say to myself, it would be, uh, you know, chill out a little bit in that, like, I used to, like, set goals for, like, oh, I want to get published by the time I'm this age, right? Like, those are things I can't control. The only thing that you should be setting goals for yourself are things that you can control. Like, you, so, so for instance, for me, that was, I can control writing and illustrating, improving my craft, and submitting my work. Those are the things that I can control. I can't control someone else's opinion about my work. I can't control an editor saying, oh, we want to invest the money to publish this person's book. And so the more that you can base your goals on what you can control, the less disappointed you're going to be in life. That's great. I think that's really helpful advice. And last thing, Jared, I just wanted to, to give you a moment to talk about what you're currently up to. And, and I know you have a new book coming out in the spring. Uh, I, I don't have it right here. Um, it's about, yeah, my new book, it's called Sunshine. And it's uh, a follow up to my, my first graphic memoir, which was Hey Kiddo. So like I spent my majority of my career writing books for really young kids, preschool, and then a good chunk of my time making graphic novels for elementary school age people. And my first book for teens was called Hey Kiddo, which also had a lot of appeal, crossover appeal for adults as well. Um, and actually, now I now I'm touring a lot of colleges, giving talks about about the book. And Sunshine is about my time working at a camp for kids with pediatric cancer, and uh, it comes out in April. And so I'm now trying to find the balance of getting back into like book tour mode, as I did in the before, and how do I combine that with this new reality of uh, you know creating online content. Um, and so just trying to find the the right balance of it all like that's you know while also somewhere in there trying to finish books too that are past due well jared thank you so much for your time i really appreciate you where can people find you uh studio jjk on any social platform or studio jjk.com thank you for listening to rising to the top lessons in leadership for more episodes subscribe on spotify soundcloud or apple podcasts to get more information and tips on how you can advance your career, visit Columbia University's Career Design Lab at careerdesignlab.sps.columbia.edu.